You can uh, open your Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer, to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Our passage uh, takes us to the halfway point of the book uh, and our series, uh, In Christ. Uh, we're just walking through the book of Ephesians. And now, part of the focus last week was on unity. <clears throat> Uh, because Jesus has reconciled wretched sinner and holy God, it, it shows us that he's also able to reconcile you and me from different walks of life, different families, different generations, different backgrounds. Jesus brings all together in the church. Now, Satan wants us to focus on all the differences. Satan wants to divide and, and pit one different, uh, difference against another, which is why we have to remember that we are all on Team Jesus. And God has assembled us here at First Baptist Church for a reason. In Christ, we come together. And that's the mystery that Paul spoke about in chapter 3. A mystery is uh, something that's just difficult or sometimes impossible to, to un- understand. Uh, in a biblical sense, a mystery is something that was, uh, am I clicking really bad, really badly? How about now? All right. Welcome to the first service. We're glad you're here, right? <laughs> a mystery in a biblical sense is something that uh, once was um, hidden to the ungodly, but now has been made, has been revealed to the godly. And so we, we see Gentiles are now included in God's people within the church. Uh, I don't believe that we take Israel's place, but we have been grafted in, as Romans 11 speaks of. Adopted into the family, as chapter 1 in Ephesians spoke of. A, a mystery uh, it, nobody in the Old Testament would have seen coming. A mystery that Paul gave his life for. A mystery that, that taught angels the multifaceted wisdom of God. Something they hadn't known as much of until the birth of the church. Through that, angels see our omniscient God orchestrate his plan from the beginning to bring together the lost from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I mean, think about how big that mission is. To bring together lost people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. None of us could ever have done that. It takes somebody really big to complete a mission like that. Only the powerful, the all-powerful God. And he has chosen the church to get the job of of presenting the gospel done on this earth. So through Jesus, we now have access to the throne room of God. We can approach his throne with confidence, Hebrews tells us. Because of our faith in Christ. And so, may the mystery of the church never lose its awe in our hearts and in our lives. As we finish out chapter 3, if you're able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God. Ephesians three fourteen through 19. For this reason, so because of the mystery of the church... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, 
to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So you may or may not notice, but uh, this is actually the second prayer in Ephesians. The first was in chapter 1, verses 17 and following. And and that prayer was about knowing God the Father through Jesus. Uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, prayed that the Ephesians' spiritual eyes would be opened, that they would know the hope of his calling, that they would know the value that he places on us that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power. And remember, that's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. It's the same power that lives in us. Remember, Paul was in prison. And I'm not so sure that if I was in prison, that a, a prison letter from me would sound quite as eloquent as his does. Not once did he pray for his release. Not that that would have been wrong to do, but Paul was completely focused on the spiritual realm. Remember, we talked about that in chapter 1, in week 1. The riches that he had waiting for him there. And he wanted the same for the Ephesians. And so he focused on the, the inner man. Because he knew that if we are right spiritually, then the physical stuff really doesn't matter. So the first part was about knowing this prayer, the first prayer was about knowing. This prayer is about being. You can write that down. This prayer is about being. So we've seen all these riches that we have in Christ. Rest in them. Use them. There's an emphasis on on spiritual posture here in Ephesians. Notice uh, in chapter chapter 2, verse 1, as lost sinners, we were buried in the grave. When we trusted Jesus, he raised us up and seated us with, with Christ. We're going to see in chapter 4, because we are seated with him, we can walk to please him. And in chapter 6, we stand against the wiles of the devil. I wonder how many of us, how many Christians still live like we're, we're dead and buried in the grave because we just don't understand who we are in Christ. The one that links them all together is the posture of prayer. You can write that down. There is a posture of prayer. And uh, speaking of being dead and buried and raised to walk, I want to let you know uh, we're we're scheduled to have two baptisms in the second service. A couple students uh, have come, and uh, we're just looking forward to that. So um, you're welcome to stick around, although it will be at the end of the service. Um, So... The posture of prayer. For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I would say that the physical act of bowing the knee is not as important as the spiritual act of bowing our hearts and humbly coming to the Father. But that's the posture of prayer. How many times when we pray, do we just, uh, we present our requests, Lord, this is what I want, this is what I need, And we expect him to come through, but we really don't spend any time in worship, a posture of prayer. We don't humble ourselves before him and just truly worship him for who he is, the one and only true God who can answer our prayers. In Paul's example here, he requests four things for the Ephesians. And kind of like like links in a chain, one leads to the next. Number one on your outline, he prays for strength. 
Paul prays for strength. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. So the request for strength with might. Now, the word might is where we get our word dynamite from. It means strength, ability, and power. And not just any strength, ability, or power. The source is specific, and so is the destination. This strength and ability and power are coming through His Spirit to the inner man or into the soul. So, through the Spirit to the soul. The inner man is is the place within us that God works and dwells through through His Spirit. Romans 8, 9, it tells us that the presence of the Spirit is evidence of knowing Jesus. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the presence of the Spirit is evidence of knowing Jesus. But the power of the Spirit is what allows us to live and rest and be in Christ. And so that's what the request is here. Strength and ability and power through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you, if you listen to that, that phrase, it's kind of a, a cliche, Christianese saying, isn't it? I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you strength. Lord, give us strength through your Spirit. These are not uncommon things for us to say. Couldn't it be that the reason why the Lord put them in His Word was because He knew that we would be tempted to find strength and power from other sources other than the Holy Spirit. It's been said before that if the Lord removed the Holy Spirit from the earth, most churches wouldn't even realize it because what they're doing would just continue just like it always has. Now that one hurts, doesn't it? It should hurt. I know that I am more than capable of looking to myself for ability and strength and power. And it's when I do that my inner man that Paul is talking about here is left starving and discontent and empty. And I know that I'm not the only one. Do those words describe you here today? Spiritually starving, spiritually discontent, spiritually empty. If so... Could it be because you're not trying to find strength and ability in the right place? But you're trying to find strength and ability and power from from yourself or from somebody else or, or from what the world gives. There is no power like the power of the Holy Spirit because it is the power of God. And no matter where else you look, every other power pales in comparison to the power of God. Now bear with me here as we continue verse 16 there. The power of the Spirit is given according to the riches of His glory. It tells us right there, verse 16. Now we can understand that to mean according to the proportion of His glory. Proportion relates to size. Now we cannot describe how big God's glory is. We do not have 
the ability. It, you know, if I wanted to describe a, a basketball to someone who had never seen it before, uh, I could probably describe it pretty well that when, when that person walked away, they'd have a pretty good idea of what a basketball is. But God's glory is simply not that simple. I can tell you that God's glory includes His infinite holiness, His greatness, and His worth, which are all true, but we still have no clue as to how glorious God is. I can tell you that that God's glory is the way that He shouts His infinite beauty and purity throughout the whole universe, seen and unseen, which is true, but we still have no idea how glorious our God is. Because we don't have the words to describe his glory, neither do we have the mental capacity to understand it. And so to simplify it in terms that we can understand it, God's glory is really big. It's it's really big. And according to these verses, he gives strength in proportion to the greatness of his glory. And so what that tells us is that God has enough to give you and me the strength that we need to continue to move forward in faith. Our God has enough. And we can take confidence in that. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet, and I know that you will never fail me. Whatever the situation, God is big enough and never runs out of strength to give. He's not like Superman. There is no kryptonite for our God. He gives strength in proportion to his glory, and we cannot fathom how glorious he really is. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, that's good news. The inner man, the place where God works and dwells, it was dead until Jesus came, and it's now strengthened through his word, through worship, through obedience, and the result is deeper faith. That's number two on your outline. Paul Paul prayed for strength and depth. He, He prayed for strength and depth. So again, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So let's take a, a deeper look at a few words in, in, in verse 17. The first one is dwell, dwell. That word has been defined as settling down and making at home. The song we sang today, Abide With Me, Abide, has kind of the same, the same meaning. And so the prayer was for Jesus to settle in and make himself at home in our hearts. Now that is a beautiful picture. I mean, think about your home. You are comfortable in your home. Things are the way you want them in your home. We would feel out of place if we lived in someone else's home. If, you ever, if you've ever had a transition from, from one place to another, and you had to wait while one place was, was getting ready, you had to rent a place, that rental place really just doesn't quite feel like home. It's difficult to settle in. 
There's a sense of comfort at home. There is a routine at home. And I wonder how many of our hearts that Jesus just doesn't get that. He doesn't feel at home in our hearts. He wouldn't be comfortable in in our hearts because of all the roommates that we've allowed to move in. Jesus just is out of place because of all this other stuff that is contrary to him. There's no routine with Jesus other than maybe an hour here and there on a Sunday. What's it going to take for us to allow Jesus to settle in and make himself at home and evict all the other stuff, all the other lies that our hearts so want to hold on to? It's going to take depth, a deeper commitment to our faith in Jesus, a choice to make, to make the things of God priority, even though there are so many other things that easily can be. It's going to take an intentionality of making Jesus comfortable in our hearts. So the prayer is that that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we go from dwelling like in the home out to the garden with this next word. Look at that word rooted. It's a word that means to render firm to establish. Notice Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 7 is very similar. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. See, church, roots are important. Roots bring nourishment from the soil to the plant. And and the deeper they go, the stronger the plant, the more established it becomes. Now, I don't consider myself much of a gardener, but uh, I usually try to put out something. And um, this year, I had it figured out. My garden was two feet by 40 feet. Two by 40, one row. I had it figured out. I could mow around the whole thing, and man, I, uh, I, I, I had it ready. I, I, I tilled the soil. I planted the, the, the seeds. I, I set the timer uh, on my water, on my, on my sprinkler, and I was ready to go, and I was anticipating the massive harvest that I was going to get out of my garden this year. Well, uh, we left on vacation, and if you remember... It seems like a long time ago, but we went through a stretch of several days over 100 degrees. We were out of town, and that's when the uh, the batteries on the sprinkler timer decided to go dead. Um, So I was gone for 10 days, and, and, and there it was. As you can imagine, we came back to a dead garden. Uh, In total, the massive harvest all year. Three zucchini and one squash. That was my garden this year. So uh, don't come to me for any gardening tips because I can surely surely tell you what not 
to do. Um, you know, some of us might say that the battery went dead on the sprinkler of our hearts a long time ago. Because spiritually, we are just parched. We're, we're going through the motions. Uh, we said it and forgot it, but since then, the roots have just died. Uh, one thing that I did notice in my garden, uh, even without the sprinkler on, the weeds continued to grow, even without water. And, and our hearts are similar. If we will allow the weeds of distraction and our own agendas and the pull of the world and busyness to continue to grow, they will when nothing else will. And they will suck the nutrients out of the soil that the good plants need and suffocate them out. It might be time to replace the batteries. It might be time to, to rededicate See, that, that's what revival is. Don't we need revival? There's evangelism involved, but it's, it's really for believers to, to rekindle the flame that's already there, to retill the soil and replant the Word and begin to water it and, and to tend to our hearts and get rid of the weeds that spiritually just suck the life out of us. So that we can go deeper in love with Christ, like it says there at the end of verse 17. Rooted. So he's talking, he's asked for, for us to dwell. We looked at that, that word dwell, for Jesus to dwell in our hearts. Rooted, and the next word is grounded. Grounded. Again, the prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Grounded refers to foundation. Grounded refers to foundation. You ask uh, any construction worker what's been said before, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. And don't, you know that our, don't we know that our, our foundations are tested all the time? I worked on this message uh, the week that Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida. Uh, most of us saw the horrible aftermath of just, just houses just wiped off their foundations when the winds come and the storms come, it matters what we're built upon. Because life is shaky and we never know what is around the next corner. And whatever it is, we'll soon test our foundation. What we have to remember is that the wind and the storms, they strengthen the roots. And it's when we have been tending the garden and pulling the weeds, and watering our hearts with the Word of God, building that foundation deeper and deeper and deeper, that we are ready for the storms because our foundation is firmly established on Jesus Christ. So the batteries in my, in my garden timer, they, they went dead, but so did uh, the batteries on my willow trees out front. So I've learned a very valuable lesson uh, this, this summer. Uh, always change the batteries at the beginning of the season. But you know what? We uh, thankfully didn't come back to dead willow trees because uh, they have been in the ground for years. And their roots are very well grounded. They've been, in, for over a decade they, they've been there. And so when the heat came 
it didn't matter to the willows because their roots were deep enough. They could find the water when they needed it. Church, we, we desperately need deep experiences with Jesus. And while coming here is part of it each week, it's not enough. It's only part of the picture. Because the batteries on our sprinkler may die tomorrow, and then we go another week without even talking to Jesus, without even hearing from Jesus. It's hard to survive and choose faith when the storms and the drought comes. See, the same God that is with us here today is the same God that wants to speak to us through the pages of his word each and every day. So the prayer is for strength, depth, and number three, grip. Grip. I bow my knees to the Father, again in verse 14, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Basically, he's saying, get a grip. Right there in verse 18 when he says that you would be able to comprehend. It's a word that means to take hold of, to make one's own. And of course, it carries a, a physical meaning to get a grip on something, but also a mental meaning to understand in the mind, to make it your own right up here in your mind and in your heart. Now that implies that we can understand the width and length and depth and height of the love of Jesus, but never really make it our own, never really get a grip on it personally. Notice the paradox there in verse 19. When we do, we can know the unknowable. It says it right there. We can know the unknowable, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. The love of Jesus, it is, it is wide and long and deep, and it is high, but there are other dimensions to his love that can't even be measured. There are unsearchable riches in Christ, Ephesians 3.8 tells us. Those riches and that unmeasurable love are resources to God's people, and they are sufficient. They are never-ending, and they are filling, and that's what we need to get a grip on in our minds and in our hearts. And that leads to number four, fullness. Paul prayed for fullness, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Fullness refers to a measurement of capacity. And it tells us that Jesus is the measurement. Jesus is the measurement. We tend to measure ourselves against each other. It makes me feel better if I can find a Christian who is struggling more than me, and I measure myself against them, and then I can say, well, look at me, I'm, I'm doing good, I'm doing better than they are. But that's not the right way. <laughs> because you and I are not the measurement. 
Jesus is the measurement. He is the standard. And until we reach his capacity of holiness and love and obedience, we have not arrived. We still have work to do. And so that tells me I have not arrived. I still have work to do. We're going to see more about the fullness in chapter 5. But here's what we see at this prayer at the end of chapter 3. That we would continue moving forward toward the measurement of Jesus until we see him face to face. It's a request for strength from a specific source, the Holy Spirit, to a specific destination, our souls. It's a request for depth, growing deeper and deeper, making Jesus comfortable in our hearts establishing him as our foundation, deepening the roots of faith so as to continue to grow even when the storms come, even when the drought comes. A request to get a grip on how big and deep and wide and high God's love is in Christ and to be filled there, satisfied, content, to rest in Christ. Are you satisfied spiritually? <clears throat> Are you content? And I know Satan loves to just push every button that he can to make us discontent with who we are in Christ, to make us discontent with, with the blessings that God continues to lavish on us. What needs to happen in your, in your heart? in order to get closer to the right place. The church for you, I bow the knees of my heart to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and ask that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we go into a time of, of invitation here this morning, would you just bow your heads and, and allow God to, to move in your heart? Such a, such a rich passage that we have here. And I, as always, am thankful that that God speaks to our hearts well beyond what the messenger says. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the power of his word. What has God said to you today? And, and what are you going to do about it?